Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast in a Pandemic. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching during this pandemic. You have no idea, I hope, how many times it took me to be able to say that correctly. I think we did four takes. Um, So, Yolando, what is astonishing you this week? Oh, I am astonished, but not in a good way, um, by grief and loss. Last Sunday, last Sunday, last Friday, when we finished recording our podcast, I got a text about the school that we host at our church. One of the teachers, one of the administrators sent me a text saying that they were going to close, that they were not going to come back next year. And... I was instantly filled with grief and loss, primarily because those folks are my friends, Uh, those teachers I have lunch with at least four times a week, and uh, the students, I have lunch with them, I do their physical education a couple of times a week, we share things like Valentine's Day lunches and Christmas parties. We go caroling at the local nursing home a block away from the church. I am their graduation speaker every year. Uh, because of those students, two years ago, I started playing the video game Fortnite online, and I play with them. And uh, instantly, I felt the loss of those relationships, and it made me really sad. And I think, you know, there was already lots of grief and loss in the air because of COVID-19 and the quarantine, and I think that just opened the floodgates, and I was kind of paralyzed by my grief. As a matter of fact, I had to set aside the sermon I was planning to preach um, because my grief in a short amount of time, turned into anxiety and fear because then I started to think about the financial hit that the church was going to take because of the school closing. And I just sat on the sofa for hours wrestling with my grief. And I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's true. I became just real irritable and moody toward my wife and my child. And um, I realized that I was really wrestling with a, a, a negative spirit. And so I just decided to give myself to climbing out of that hole. And as I did, I thought about Exodus 17, uh, the Israelites in the desert. Uh, they don't have anything to drink. They are doubting God's provision. They're doubting doubting God's presence. They even ask, is the Lord among us or not? And um, I, I just wrestled with that. And that ultimately became the content of the sermon on Sunday. Um, and really grateful for my wife's pep, pep talk. I mean, she was really good about saying, hey, and this was actually a point in the sermon. She's like, okay. We have been in the desert before. 
This isn't the first time we've been through a trial mm-hmm. and God has brought us through. And it's so funny that in the text, uh, Israel early on coming out of Egypt, they had a situation where they were at an oasis and the water was bitter. They complained. God told Moses to throw a piece of wood into the water and the bitter water became sweet. And in Exodus 17, they have the same situation. They they just don't have anything to drink. It's like, oh, we have been here before. We've, We've had this kind of situation before. God took care of us then. God will take care of us now. And so just wrestling with that scripture and meditating on it really helped me out of my own funk, uh, but also just really provided um, a passion for preaching on Sunday. And um, I think that came through in the preaching moment, but it, it was a hard few days just dealing with grief because that's not something our society really teaches us to deal with really well. And I don't think men in in particular, deal with grief well. Grief for us usually morphs into um, anger. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had to allow myself to be sad and to be sad because of, and I had to just say to myself over and over again, it's because I'm losing these relationships and I love these people. They are my friends and yeah. I don't want them to go. But the reality yeah. is that they are going. And uh, so yeah. that's that's what's astonishing me. Well, I just, um, first I'm just, I'm really sorry because I know what a loss that is. Um, and I just want a loss that is, and then to have that, um, relational, emotional, spiritual hit compounded by the burden of increased financial uncertainty and vulnerability. I mean, it's just, it's just really hard and it's hard to understand, you know, when you found a, a, a component of what is already a really difficult ministry call to lead a congregation through transformation. And you find something that sort of becomes consolation and a bomb in Gilead. And then to have to lose that, it's just, it's just a, it's a hard blow to absorb. And I think um, you, you used a word. I mean, I think you said somewhere in there, like, to get out of my funk or something. And I just think that's not a, um, yeah, that's just not a good label to put mm-hmm. on what you were, what you still are grieving is that it's not a, you know, it's not a whim or, a, or because you have a bad attitude. I mean, it's a real loss. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's not just the one thing you, you think, well, what other kinds of unanticipated losses will there be? It's just, it's painful and it's really vulnerable. And, um, and it also just makes me, I mean, hearing you say that and just, I mean, you're my friend and I care about you and I can see how that passage is such a, um, such a comfort. And I'm sort of ashamed to think of the times that I've, um, preached that particular passage in the past. And I think my subtext has always been like, you idiots. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, how can you ask if the Lord among us are not you idiots? Like, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think that's so arrogant on my part. And I think uh, oftentimes as we sort of read through scripture, really honestly um, remembering the the whole spectrum of what it is to be human. And a lot of times, you know, groups of faithful people and groups of called and blessed and beloved people, 
you know, make really painful or embarrassing choices. And we sort of read it from the safety of our millennia and our pages and go like, ha ha, or, you know, we just feel sort of smug and superior and like, and, but the reality is, I mean, that's real. People. Yeah. I, I asked the question, how, how to trust God in trying times. That was the title of the sermon. And my conclusion was that it's not about gathering enough strength in my own faith. If I can just have enough faith, yeah. then um, then I can I can fight my way through it. In the text, God tells Moses to strike the rock, and water flowed out of the rock. And um, in First Corinthians, Paul says referring to that moment, and the rock was Christ. It's really not about faith in my faith, but it's about faith in what God has done for me in the cross of Jesus. That if if God was willing to do that, then I can trust God with my life. Yeah. And I think sometimes that's where the language of test and trial can be really unhelpful for us and really um, a stumbling block. Because when we talk about suffering as a test or a trial, we we think of it as tests or trials work in our culture, which a mm-hmm. test measures how proficient you are and a trial measures how innocent or guilty you are. And so we do get this idea of like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to show my goodness or show my innocence. And that's not what it is. It, I mean, we say this a lot that we don't have faith in our faith. We don't have faith in ourselves, but I think a lot of times, I mean, you hear it all the time, people will be relating something that they're going through and then they'll say, I know I just have to believe, or I know I just, you know, and it's the, you can tell that what they mean is they they really think, okay, if I just faith hard enough, then God will reward me. And that's just a lie straight from the pit of hell. What you're clinging to is, okay, I really know how weak I am and I don't know how I feel about God, or even what I believe about God, I am trusting that God is who God showed himself to be in my past, but most importantly, on the cross. Absolutely. That is what I trust in the goodness and and power of God. That's what my faith is in. It's not in, okay, I won't allow myself to be shaken or stirred. No, I'm shaken and I'm stirred (laughs) and I'm mad and I'm sad and I'm bitter and cranky and all of those things are, I mean, whether we should or shouldn't feel that way, we just do. But the good news is that scripture shows us that God shows up and works in people's lives in all of those, you know, in all of those moods. (laughs) So um, that's really, well, I'm really sorry, friend. That's really Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Hard. So what's astonishing you? Um, I think we, we were saying before we got started that we're, we're podcasting a little bit earlier this week, so I haven't had as much time to be <laughs> astonished, but, um, I am working my way slowly through, um, um, a book that I've read before practice resurrection by Eugene Peterson. And it's a, um, a meditation on, um, I mean, the, the, subtitle is a conversation on growing up in Christ and and he's working through the um Paul's letter to the Ephesians and just talking about like what is church what really is church and it's 
in its pure essence. And um, I think, you know, for people who love church and you and I love church, um, you know, I love everything about it. And, and so it's easy to not even be able to see it, you know, I mean, it's just easy to kind of, you know, I love the forms of it and I love the expressions of it. And like, I don't, I mean, I don't remember my Plato or whoever, but like, you know, there's, there's what a thing is and then there's how it's expressed in the world. And I think, you know, there's a lot of times where we confuse the expression of something for the essence of something. And especially with church, there are things that we do. Um, and most of them are not even bad things, but like how we gather for worship or how we teach or how we pray or how we serve or how we seek to disciple people. And um, those are all right behaviors, but they can either become sort of completely um, hypocritical or they can become empty of, of the Holy Spirit. I mean, anyway, so I, um, this, I mean, he just said a couple of things that were just already astonishing me is he's, he, Eugene Peterson is talking about how in, I mean, the first thing he does is just kind of debunk this idea that Ephesus was the only good church <laughs> saying like, <laughs> if you look at the totality of how scripture talks about the church in Ephesus, I mean, there's moments where it seems like it's doing really well. And then, you know, 30 years later, Paul is sending, sending Timothy and it seems like, I mean, things have gone downhill fast. And he says yeah. like, you know, and, and when Jesus, you know, when the spirit of the Lord talks about the church in Ephesus and Revelation, he talks about them being bold and standing against evil, but lacking in love. So, I mean, it's just not a Shangri-La um, community. And, you know, sort of his first point is, you know, no, no churches are, and that's, um, so, so that's not an excuse or a goal, like, you know, and, and I think that's really helpful to be able to say that what God is doing in the midst of a real church isn't deterred by just the brokenness of human beings. And I think sometimes we think we fear that it might be. And so we tend to kind of weed out people with certain kinds of visible brokenness or really um, not, not live in relationship with to one another according to our own values because we're afraid um that God isn't sufficient or that we're so broken. I mean, this is really, I mean, not to not to reiterate the whole book, but I mean, well, never mind. I'll just say that the one quote and um, he talks about in Ephesus being like a bone setting, that's his major um mm. metaphor, that basically there's there's belief and there's behavior. And so often in the church these things get disconnected um, that, and that in Ephesus, Paul is kind of resetting the bone. So in the first part of Ephesians, he's, he's reminding them of what you believe. And then in the second part of the book, he's talking about, okay, now how do you live? And he's trying to just sort of re um, repen these two things together because that's, there's supposed to be unity between belief and behavior in the church. And I, and I, and that's just a really beautiful, crystal clear way of, of thinking that. And then he also just is talking about 
you know, the humanity and the broken. He basically points out like if Jesus was born in these really sketchy circumstances, you know, pregnant, unmarried woman caught in scandal in the midst of this, you know, huge empire that was a, a threat. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit, you know, could have chosen to incarnate Jesus in very different circumstances, but, but didn't. And then he's sort of drawing a parallel between the way that the Holy Spirit was incarnate in Jesus the circumstances of who Jesus was and where he was born and the kind of marginality and poverty he in, experienced in his incarnation, that these are equally true for the Holy Spirit. That, I mean, for the Holy Spirit in, in, in the body of Christ, which is the church. So, you know, you're, you're just, just a bunch of sketchy people, you know, poor, <laughs> wounded, not many of you are wise, not many of you are, are gifted and the natural and, and you're not occupying just as Jesus wasn't born into a powerful, wealthy family, you know, the church isn't born into, um, you know, a, a powerful and wealthy community. Like, you know, Jesus was born on the underside of the empire. The church is born on the underside of the empire. And he's just making that correlation to, you know, the things I think that we run away from in the church to think like, well, to be the body of Christ, we need to have a certain amount of status in the world. And we need to have a certain amount of, you know, material resources in order to get things done. And Peterson is sort of saying like, I don't know why you think that because that's not how the spirit of God manifested itself in the body of Christ when the body of Christ was Jesus. So why does it surprise you that that's not the way that the spirit of Jesus manifests itself in the body of Christ when the body of Christ is the church? And that was really helpful. And he has this line, he talks about like the church is the miracle that doesn't look like a miracle. And I'm like, oh, I really, mm. really like that. Mm. Um, because so often as we want to present ourselves to the world, we want to be like, I mean, look at how awesome we are. That's just evidence that God is with us and what we say is true. So, you know, look at our building projects and look at our philanthropy and look at, you know, everyone in our pews is someone that you would want to know and would want to be your next door neighbor. And would, I mean, you know, and that's just, I mean, I get why we think that way, but that's not the record of scripture. And it's just not what we should be trying to emulate. Like we shouldn't be trying to look like a church. We should be trying to be a church and that is just messy and risky and requires i mean like i love what you talked about with um your your opening thing that you shared because it requires people and leadership being able to say like boy i got knocked flat um this week and i'm feeling despair and i'm wrestling with hopeful hopelessness and i'm you know bitter and i'm you know and and I'm not going to stuff that in my back pocket and pretend it isn't there. I'm going to turn to what we believe that's true and give God an opportunity to do what only God can do in my life instead of like, you know, packing it in and going, okay, well, this didn't work out. So anyway, that basically, it was astonishing me, Eugene Peterson. That's <laughs> would you, would you share the quote again? Um, something like the church is the miracle that shouldn't be. Is that the quote? No, he said that the church is a miracle that doesn't look like a miracle. The, a miracle that doesn't look like a miracle. I like mm-hmm. that. Isn't that a great align? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it, think, yeah. It makes me think of the history of the black church. It makes mm-hmm. me think of, you know, there were a number of, of slaves uh, brought to this continent who were already Christian. And I, I just wonder, you know, I mean, they had to, 
they had to, um, I don't know how they reformulated, how they uh, thought yeah. through their faith on this continent to create uh, the black church. Um, you know, slaves meeting in brush arbors, uh, slaves, you know, not being able to um, have access to education. And yet you get this institution that rises up out of the midst of slavery, out of Jim Crow to become um, this- uh, A redeeming force in this yeah, nation. Yeah, 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 it, yeah. yeah. And I mean, in many I, cases, it's still, it's still in many ways, doesn't look like a miracle because if you drive past many historically African-American churches, they just look like small little ragtag buildings or, um, you know, for many who are in mainline Christianity mm-hmm. to view many black Christians in worship it's just way too emotional, doesn't really make sense. This just doesn't, it, it has very yeah. little value. And yet it is a miracle of God. Well, and I think, I mean, that was sort of the other thing that it was really astonishing me as I was reading this. It's just, a, you know, I just, we take for granted that we're all sitting here and to try to put yourself sort of in the shoes of somebody in the first century, living in the Roman Empire and and hearing this message about Jesus and and seeing this group of like just weirdo powerless losers who I mean it just I mean to have to be able to look at that and say no that is the source of truth and power and goodness and I'm pledging my life to it. And I know that this is the rock on which Jesus has built the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I mean, that's insane. I mean, talk about a miracle that doesn't look like a miracle. Like you just, how how in the world, I mean, this is not an original joke, but you hear people say like, you know, now Jesus is the name that everyone knows and nobody can name the name of any Roman emperors. And in the time, I mean, that is just a ludicrous proposition or like the joke that, you know, Jesus is above a name above all names. And we, we name our dogs after Roman empires, right, emperors, right. Like Caesar, you know, whatever. And so, I, I mean, that sort of improbability of how, from the human perspective, the church was nothing. I mean, it was nothing. It was a joke. And yet, it was the power of God that has prevailed and, and shaped the world in, in, I mean, listen, as, as many people have said, I think originally St. Augustine, the church is the whore, but she's our mother. Like the church is like, I don't want to underestimate the destructive, the ways that I think the enemy has infiltrated the church to wreak havoc and destruction and try to pin the name of Jesus on that. But even having said that, the for, the church has been a tremendous force for for goodness um, and healing and love. In, I had a, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I had a conversation today with uh, a member of our church who is 90 years old, and she lives alone. 
And I really wanted to know how she was doing spiritually and how she was holding up in this, you know, time of quarantine. And so I asked her, you know, what, what do you do during the day? And she said, I pray, I read scripture, and I write letters to people that I hear about who are hurting. And, yeah. and she said, I, I'm okay doing those things. And I right. said and to yeah. her, yeah. I, I reminded her, That's I, said, everything. Did, I said, did you know that early, early in the life of the church, after, you know, a time right after the apostles died, there were people in North Africa who went out to live by themselves. And you know what they did? They prayed, they read scripture, mm-hmm. and they, um, they um, counseled people who needed help. And that's what yeah. they did. And we call them the desert fathers and mothers. And they formed the beginning of the monastic life in the church. And she's like, I have never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that was sort of the big picture thing that makes you, you step back and like, and next we're both going to talk about sort of what we're thinking about reopening our campuses and what that looks like. But I think one thing that the gift of doing this reading and thinking and having the space to do that is to realize if you really think about what the church is and not what it does, Mm. if you really think about what the church is, then the true church is in no way limited by this pandemic, by the stay at home orders. Right. I mean, we cannot, uh, no one can witness our praying, but we can still pray. Absolutely. You know, no one, we might not be able to say, if you'd like to be discipled, come to the church at next time. But we can still disciple people if we care about discipling. We, we can still worship. I mean, like every single thing that we say has ultimate power and value for us as followers of Jesus Christ. None of it has been taken away from us. Not absolutely none of it. Yeah. And so... When we ask the question, like, oh my gosh, I'm so eager to get back to church. I mean, and hashtag me too, like I am. But I mean, I also just think it's really important that we sit with, okay, but if we feel like we don't have what gave us most love, power, connection, meaning in this time apart, then I think we need to ask really hard questions about, is it possible that we loved the form of church more than we loved the the true essence of it. Ooh, that's a um, word. Ooh. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because I mean, think about, I mean, and I, I, I love that you told Miss Eva that she's a desert mother because she is. Yeah. But, you know, that's not something that institutional churches have tended to encourage because we want our people to do things that are visible in ways that we think make us look good in the eyes of the culture. And it's just silly. Like we're trying to win at somebody else's game. Um, and I, yeah, I just, uh, I mean, I'm, I am in no way suggesting that we won't, I mean, like, I'm not a huge fan of, of house churches because you have to get an invitation to come to them. So like, I'm always, I'm hugely in favor of the church being a visible public presence and, a, and having a public, um, gathering point that, anybody can find out about and wander into because that's how the Holy Spirit can guide us 
to our brothers and sisters that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. So I'm in no way suggesting that we won't or shouldn't come back together again in visible ways. We we will and we must, but those are expressions of what is eternal and what God is doing. You, right? There are responses to what God is doing. And so we're not we're not limited from the things that really transform us and have power in this season. And that is a really important thing for us to know as we start talking about how do we get back? Um, mm-hmm. Because, yeah, we tell on ourselves. Well, then let's <laughs> let's uh, transition uh, from that to talking about uh, uh, going back, since we're both thinking about when and how yeah. and what it looks like. And let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, well, I'll just say that I, so I'm having a session meeting tomorrow. Ooh. So... I can share what I'm thinking, but I can't share what we're going to do because um, in our polity, I lead with a group of leaders who are elected elders by the congregation. And this is definitely the kind of decision that is at the heart of my understanding of what an elder's role is, because this is all about shepherding the congregation. This is all about um, looking out for the spiritual um, health of the community. Um, and so like we, we can talk particularities, but, um, I, um, I, I have, I mean, my process has been, I've been doing a lot of reading. I have been reaching out directly to people I know who are part of our community and who also work in healthcare, um, to say, you know, what do you know and see that I don't, that I couldn't know. Um, that's good. And then, you know, my, my context for the elders has been, so I just sort of wrote out like, this is my motion. This is what I think we should do. And then sort of here's two pages of my rationale of why I think it should be this way. And so then I'll bring that to them and we'll have a discussion, but, and modify it. Um, but, um, you know, kind of my big thing is it's not only what we need to do, um, in order to be good shepherds of our community. But I also just think we need to have a real awareness of what values we're communicating to everyone who's watching as we make these decisions. Um, So when people hear, you know, what are we doing and why, or as people in our church talk to their neighbors, I, I need them. I need all of us to be able to say, this is what we're doing. And and here's why we're doing it. And part of it is about continually just to walk out the core, really countercultural um, commitment of the gospel that those who are strong bear with those who are weak. And so um, it's not just a matter of what we can do. It's a matter of, or what we have the freedom to do. It's a matter of um, how can we make sure that our choices aren't making vulnerable people even more vulnerable? Mm-hmm. And if we say that the Christian church is a, is a culture of life and a flourishing, then, I mean, talk is cheap. And, and this is a way that we really need to live that out. Um, so um, kind of those, that's kind of the context with which I'm putting the specific, um, you know, components of the plan together. So, yeah. I've asked, uh, well, we, we are meeting as an elder board next Tuesday, uh, a week from today. And um, I've asked our elders starting tomorrow to enter into a period, uh, six days of prayer, just to ask for wisdom. Um, because it, mm-hmm. it is, 
a matter of discernment and how and when we gather together again affects our witness. It says something Mm -hmm. just like those who continue to gather, even as the virus was gaining steam and people are getting infected, that said something to everyone else watching, right? I I was hearing, oh, those churches are just out to get money, right? And so when we decide to gather is going to communicate something. And so we want to be very careful about that. Um, Well, and it's just kind of where we started. Yeah, it's just where we started when we were talking about, you know, the the Peterson thing on uh, the Ephesians is that it's, you know, it's belief and behavior. And so people need to be able to look at our behavior and extrapolate back to our beliefs. And and we need to make sure that there's just continuity in that. Um, So, yeah, I think I really want it to be a decision that is based on our values based on our understanding of who Jesus is, based on understanding of what faithfulness is, and not a decision that is based on our anxiety or our desires, or looking around at what other people are doing and saying like, oh, well, they, you know, the church over there is opening up, so we we need to do it too. Or, Or conversely, that, you know, these people have made a choice to stay closed all summer, so we need to do that. That we have to take seriously the fact that I mean, I believe that we have been chosen by God to lead this community for this season. We have. And so we can't punt that decision off (laughs) on anybody else. So, yeah. Another um, thing I'm thinking when it comes to gathering is, you know, when, when Jesus, when Jesus showed up in places, um, he was a blessing to people. And I'm Mm -hmm. asking, how can our gathering again bless our neighborhood. If we simply drive in from various parts of the city, some closer than others, meet on Sunday and go, yay, we made it through, and then go home, okay, that was nice, but in in what way are we going to bless our neighborhood because we gather? Because the body of Christ, if the body of Christ really matters, how 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 are we going to bless our neighborhood? So I'm trying to think through some kind of outreach or service project connected to our first gathering um, after quarantine. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's interesting too because I think, I mean, I think sometimes we don't um, take seriously enough the level of influence that we as leaders in our spiritual community have on people's choices in other places. So I'm saying like, you know, to the extent that people feel like, okay, church is quote back, then that can make people feel um, more or less likely to take precautions in other areas of, of their lives. And so I really want to, in the way that we talk about this, um, communicate to people that you know, there is a real risk of this virus and um, people who value life will take reasonable steps to protect life. And that's a really, really important thing to do. And so I want to make sure that, you know, people don't just hear a date and go like, okay, so we're back. So now I can just, yes, you know, go, resume life as normal. Cause I think it'll be a signal for people. And what I want to signal to people is, um, 
there is a lot that we don't know yet. Um, Mm. and I'm not, I, I'm not, um, I'm not talking about what kinds of decisions other leaders should be making in their context, because there might be very good reasons why other people need to make different choices. But um, there's a lot that we don't know, particularly as things are starting to reopen. And um, one thing that I know for sure is it's going to be the most, it already is, and it's going to continue to be the most vulnerable people who suffer the most and suffer the outsized, um, you know, the, the outside portion of the consequences. And so I, I just want to do everything that we can in our power to protect the lives of vulnerable people, um, whether people are vulnerable because of poverty, because of mm. systemic racism, because of um, you know, pre-existing health conditions, whatever it is, you know, our community should not be um, supporting the idea that like, well, some people just got to die. So, oh, well, like mm. that is not what our community should be supporting. Now, it's not that, you know, there are people who will suffer real economic harm that will become life altering you know, I mean, you can die from not having a job too, right? So it's not a, I am no, that it is not a simple binary choice, like only greedy, selfish people who hate poor people want to reopen the economy. I know that that's not true, but I just also know um, that we as shepherds have a real responsibility to protect, protect the sheep mm-hmm. and to be visible um, in living out our values as we come back together, especially given the point of everything that we've said, which is, what about being the authentic church of Jesus Christ can we not do right now, right? Like there are things we really enjoy that we can't do right now. There are a lot of things I really enjoy that we can't do right now, but there is nothing essential, essential. about being the body of Christ that we can't do. And so mm-hmm. I just, I want to be really, really honest about that. Um, and what I don't want to do is just because people want this to be over i don't want to be telling people what they want to hear when it's not true like i don't want to be one of those false prophets that says peace peace where there is no peace and i think that's a real danger in these moments so um so yeah i mean i think on a practical level um we i'm i am recommending to our session that we don't return until um our governor gives permission for gatherings up to 100. Um, so that's one thing um, that we'll continue to live stream until then. And that even after that happens, we will still continue to live stream. And we will certainly encourage people who need to stay home to stay home and not in any way. Like I don't in any way want people to perceive when they come back as a test of faith or a sign of faith. Oh, um, yes. So yes. that's going to be really, really important. Um, and then I think, you know, when that happens um, and, and gatherings of up to 100 are permitted, um, you know, my, my recommendation is that we're going to do some really practical things. Like we're not going to, we're not going to have a fellowship time after church because that will just encourage people to get too close in the ways that we can. And we will, um, you know, we won't pass offering plates, but we'll have some plates set up up front so people can just come and drop things in. Um, and um just have, have you thought of, have you thought about uh theme themes for worship or well, more, no. more more specifically i'm uh, mood 
emotion. Like I'm vacillating between celebration and lament. And now what I'm thinking is like our, our, our first gathering back probably needs to be some combination of thanksgiving, lament and grief, and seeking God because it's not over. Like I, I want those yeah. three things to be very clear. Yeah, I just, for me, like I think it's really important right now as a leader to communicate to the church that there are leaders who are, um, who have a plan and are making a plan um, and, and what kinds of criteria we're going to use in terms of when we come back together and what kinds of really deliberate choices we're making to keep people safe when we're back together. But in terms of thinking about like what kind of, what kind of worship service to plan for that day, I just, for me, it just feels way too soon to even think about that because mm -hmm. I think that at the earliest, at the absolute earliest, it's going to be sometime in June. And that's just still so far away from now that I don't know. I mean, just things are going to change. Things are changing so rapidly. And I just think, you know, by June, it might really feel like lament is the only mm. option. Mm. I, I mean, I just, I, I yeah. just don't know. Yeah. Um, I get that. June just so, feels really close to me. It feels really soon to me. Well, I mean, I just think time, our perception of time does such weird things in Boy. this moment that there's yeah. times when it just feels like it's flying by and times when it feels like it's dragging. Sure. And at the beginning of this, it just felt like reality changed every two seconds. And then for a long time, it's been like, oh my gosh, nothing's changing at all. And I suspect that we're about to get into a time where, um, you know, we're getting more data. I mean, as things are opening up, I don't know what will happen. Maybe, maybe nothing. Um, but if, you know, if people start getting sick in large numbers right away, I just think that the information on the ground um, is going to change. It's just going to change so rapidly. So I, yeah, I haven't thought, I haven't thought I'm, about this stuff. Just the, okay. Cause I'm, I'm just totally, the embodied stuff. I'm totally expecting to do this again either the fall oh, or the winter, I, yeah. this will not be the last time. And so I'm thinking, okay, so how can we set in place some things so that the next time it's not reinvent the wheel. It's like, okay, we, we know, we know how, how to do, do this. this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some things that we just need to figure out. Like, like I was talking to some other pastor friends last night and they were saying like, we, We've had people join the church online. We've had, I mean, there are just some things that we, I think, are putting off and waiting for after that we probably just need to realize there are ways that we can do this because we are together. I mean, we are. Um, and so we need to just sort of let our reality, you know, reflect that. And I just think the main thing is um, we have just got to get what a privilege it is that we ever get to gather in person, which is something that, you know, churches in, in the developing world or churches living under persecution just know what a privilege it is. And I think it's sometimes it's something, it's something we say a lot, um, but 
but we've never really experienced it. I mean, it's always been like, oh, I don't feel like going to church next Sunday. I'll catch it next week. And so mm. um, I think what a lot of us are realizing is, oh my gosh, it has been such a privilege wow. our whole lives to wow. always have the freedom to gather um, that the only thing that limited us was ourselves. And, and now we're coming up against external limits and we think that's super unfair and it's not. She, you can come and say hello. Do you want to give me a kiss? And then, or not. Okay, fine. Everyone is trying to police my youngest who was determined to come over here. And then as soon as I acknowledged her, she ran away because <laughs> three-year-olds are punks. Punks. <laughs> and they do not meet my emotional needs at all. So, funny. Um, so yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. What else are you thinking about this reopening? You got a list. I know you got a list. I know you love well, it up. I, well, I, I did have a list, but but that those were the main things. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, what's at the top of my list again is what does it say? What does it communicate? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, that's good. Well, we were saying before this started that for lots of reasons, none of us has a very great handle on what we're preaching this week, this Sunday. So that I have no I, idea. Yeah, I think that I'm going to do the parable about um, new wine and old wineskins, and um, you know, not patching an old garment garment with new cloth. Which I think, you know, I suspect some of the stuff that I'm reading um, in the Peterson book about what is church um will will come to to be a part of that but um but yeah so I'm, I'm hoping I can talk you into um preaching that too and um probably have a a non-podcast conversation later in the week about where we're going with that because um I see Matthew has been making silent cameos in this new call and my people are as well so that just might be external signs that we need to wrap this particular podcast very good um so thank y'all very much for listening and i really encourage you to go and check out yolando's um sermons and you can find them on the podbean website just search for derida church um especially this past sunday sermon i know there are a lot of people who are wrestling with what you are wrestling with you yeah. can find it on YouTube. It's not up on the podcast. Oh, it's not. Oh, well, <laughs> thank you for, yes. Oh, great. So YouTube, Dorita yeah. Church channel on YouTube. Um, and you can Google Dorita Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, and it will pop you right over to their website. And if you would like to find out more about The Grove, you can go to thegrovecharlotte.org. Um, and if you want to listen to any of the messages at The Grove, um, you can look at our whole service, which is live streamed, um, every week and they're archived. So that's, um, I think it's the Grove Church, the Grove Charlotte. I don't know. There's a lot of Grove churches out there. So you got to make sure you're at the right one. Some of my members have ended up worshiping with other congregations in other places. And so, but, the, um, there, but there's only one, the Grove there's one, Charlotte. There's only one, the Grove Charlotte. Um, so make sure you find us there. And um, if you want to just listen to audio of any sermons that is on iTunes, the Grove Church podcast. And we are happy to have this conversation with you guys and hope you will listen again next week. 